Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, good morning. Thanks for being with us today uh, for Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Uh, Boyd is not with us today, but I'm happy to be filling in for him. My name is Jason Perry, the director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics, and I'm joined by Morgan Lyoncotti, the associate director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. So glad to have her with us as well. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting morning. So many things to talk about in politics. Uh, first, earlier today, Boyd had a chance to visit with Dr. Yuval Levine, director of social, cultural, and constitutional studies at the American Enterprise Institute. Dr. Levin will be participating in a virtual conference with Wheatley Institution at BYU this Thursday. Want to hear this conversation? Here it is, the conversation between the two of them. A special welcome to Inside Sources today here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And as always, we've got a lot of ground to cover in the fastest 60 minutes of radio as we try to actually help you slow things down, divide the rage from the reason, elevate the conversation connect the dots and help you make the news make sense. And really pleased to be joined this morning uh, by Yuval Levin. Uh, Yuval is just one of the extraordinary thinkers uh, that I have been blessed to to follow and watch and uh, to have his influence when I was uh, working back on Capitol Hill as a chief of staff in the Senate. Uh, He was always someone we looked to for reason, for inspiration, and for a a better view of not only where we were, but more importantly, what's possible. Uh, Yuval, thanks for making time for us today. Thanks very much for having me, Boyd. I appreciate it. Uh, you you are uh, having a great connection here in the state of Utah. You have a lot of uh, followers here, and I know that tomorrow you've got a, an event with the uh, Wheatley Institution, uh, which will be a, a virtual event uh, talking about uh, your latest book, which is A Time to Build, From Family and Community to Congress and the Campus, How Recommitting to Our Institutions Can Revive the American Dream. And so tell us just a little bit about that. Obviously, distrust is really high, especially in institutions right now. Uh, give us your analysis of why that is, and then let's get into what we do about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, in a sense, of course, Americans have been living through a social crisis in, in recent years, uh, which you can see in everything from the viciousness of our partisanship uh, to the character of the culture war, and even just to a sense of alienation and despair in people's personal lives that sent suicide rates climbing, that's uh, driven people to opioid abuse in parts of the country. And the question is, are these dysfunctions connected to each other, and is there a way to think about how to address them that can give us things to do as individuals rather than just sit around and hope that politics works better? And the book argues that at the heart of a lot of these dysfunctions is a failure of our institutions, and not just a loss of trust in them, though that's crucial, but also a kind of transformation of how we think about what these institutions are for, from family and community and religion uh, all the way up to our national politics. We've gone from thinking of our institutions as existing to form us, to shape our character, 
to mold us to thinking of them instead as platforms for performance, places to stand and be seen and take part in the, the, the culture war and in the kind of theater of our politics. So that if you think about the way that people with real responsibilities in our politics and corporate America and the academy and the media and other places uh, now behave, they often see the institutions they're part of not as shaping some responsibility for them, but as giving them a stage to build their own personal brand, to build their own following, and to put on a show. That's how too many members of Congress now think about Congress. It's too often how the president thinks about the presidency. But you see it, as I say, in the media. You see it in the academy. We think of everything as just a place to stand and yell. And to recover a, a sense of affiliation, of connection, of affinity in our country, I do think we have to recover a sense that our institutions are there to form us. They're there to bring us together and enable common action. And that requires us to really think explicitly about institutions and what they're for. That's what the book really tries to help readers do. Uh, I, I love that. We uh, we were talking just this past week, obviously, with the uh, hearings going on around the Supreme Court, uh, how they shouldn't even call those hearings anymore because no one's listening uh, and they really have just become a platform a stage uh, for members of Congress to get their social media moment in and do some fundraising. Uh, and I think that leads to, to one of the things you talk about as a misguided uh, prescription uh, and kind of a defective diagnosis. And that is that uh, a lot of us have responded with kind of that populist anger at the institution. So you get a lot of the drain the swamp, clean house, uh, that kind of rhetoric. Uh, but you're saying that's that's really not where the solution begins. Yeah, I mean, you know, that anger is understandable, and in some ways it's, of course, justified. But we have to ask ourselves, then what? Uh, you know, tearing things down that frustrate us uh, can be very satisfying up to a point. But then what? How do we actually address the problems we have? These institutions exist for a reason. They have, they have goals. They have aims. We have a need for them. And we have to ask ourselves how we rebuild them or how we build in their place if what we're up to is tearing them down or, or draining the swamp. And so the challenge of this moment is less a challenge of tearing down and much more a challenge of building up, of how do we get to a place where we have functional institutions that enable us to solve problems, and not just at the national level in politics, but maybe especially at the local interpersonal level, where we really face problems and people in need and have to ask ourselves, how do we come together to address the needs that our communities have? The answer to that is at some level an institutional answer. And it involves much more than just tearing down things that don't work or that seem corrupt. It has to involve building up ways of addressing our problems together. That's really what our country is lacking now. Yeah, you, you have long been a, uh, a champion and one who has pointed out uh, the areas of civil society that, that do create thriving communities and more heroic citizens and uh, bolder, stronger uh, neighborhoods. Uh, and so as you look at that, you, you mentioned and, and talked to an extent about uh, how do we lean into that? How do we actually start to uh, to build rather than tear down? You know, I think the beginning of that can be a basic question that is now the great unasked question of this moment in America, which is, given my role here, how should I behave? Given that I am a member of Congress or the president, given that I am a parent, a neighbor, a pastor, a congregant, uh, an employee or an employer, how should I behave? Very often now, people in our in our public life fail to ask that question. And the people who most drive us crazy are people who seem most often to fail to ask that question. The people who we respect, the people who we want to be, 
are the ones who seem always to ask that question, who begin not with what do I want or how do I want to be perceived or what should people think of me, but given my role here, how should I behave? That can be the beginning of a way of thinking about institutional responsibility. It's not a substitute for reforms of institutions, but it's a prerequisite for them because in order for any change to happen, people within our institutions have to see that they, that we are part of the problem. And in order to see that, we have to begin by asking ourselves, what really is our responsibility? In some important ways, this is a moment for recovering the very American notion of responsibility. You know, that word, responsibility, is actually coined by James Madison. He seems to have been the first person to use it in English. And it's a word that describes what it takes to be a a real citizen of of, of a republic. Um, we have to recover that sense. Mm, I love that. If you're just joining us, we're talking with uh, Yuval Levin, Dr. Yuval Levin, who is the Director of Social, Cultural, and Constitutional Studies at the American Enterprise Institute, AEI. Uh, was also the founding and current editor-in-chief at uh, National Affairs. And uh, he will be part uh, of an event on Thursday this week uh, with the Wheatley Institution at BYU. Uh, you can find out about that. It is free. Uh, you can go to wheatley.byu.edu. We'll put that on our website today as well. Uh, and uh, that will be time well spent. Uh, also, his uh, his book, A Time to Build, uh, I just can't think of anything that's more important in our current climate uh, then refocusing not on what we need to tear down, but on what we actually need to build. We often frame that in the uh, Boston to Philadelphia model, that uh, Boston's protesting what we don't want, but we got to get to Philadelphia uh, in that vision of what we do want. Uh, you've all, in, in just our remaining moments here, uh, as you look at, at your work at AEI, uh, obviously your, your writing is prolific and profound, and uh, we're going to put some of this on our website today as well. Uh, but what is the thing that is uh, most pressing on your mind right now? What is it that you're really hoping uh, to see in individuals, in communities, and in the country uh, in the coming weeks? Well, you know, this is obviously a time when our, our attention is focused on national politics. We're two weeks away from a presidential election. But I think we have to ask ourselves, when that election is over, however it goes, however you feel about it, what are we actually doing to solve our problems? And I think it's important to refocus people on the needs of their local communities where we each have a role we can play, where there, there is a need that we can fill. Um, and we need to not just stand around with our arms folded and wait for the right person to get elected president so they can do something about it. We've got to wake ourselves up to see that we can do something about it. And I, I think helping people to see that and to think about ways that that can be made real and practical um, is especially important in a moment like this. Uh, fantastic. Uh, you all always appreciate your insight. I always learn something uh, every time I hear you speak. And, uh, again, good luck to you with the uh, Wheatley Institution at BYU tomorrow. And uh, we'll have you back on the program real so- soon for a, a deeper dive into Therefore What podcast coming up. Thanks very much, Boyd. I appreciate it. All right. All the best. All right. We're going to go ahead and step aside for a quick commercial break. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor... You'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind 
only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.